15th episode of You and I for the Kenai. This is Eric, Aaron, and Cobran. And today we have another special guest with us today to uh, hear her recovery story. Jody, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Nice. So let's, um, we've been talking about, as I'm starting to ramble, we've been talking about kind of making these shorter because we've been back at Serenity House today and we've made one today. It was two and a half hours long, so we're going to cut that down. So let's quickly touch on your background. Where are you from? I was born in Soldotna, Alaska, and raised here. I moved away for a couple of years, and I ended up coming right back home. <laughs> yeah, you're a lifer, huh? Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, let's jump right to it. When was your first experiences with substance? Oh, when I was really young my dad actually grew weed and my grandpa and all my family it was like the song you know the good old family tradition Mm -hmm. and so it was just a crazy family and I was grew up with everyone drinking every day and smoking weed I think I clipped my dad's plants in like fourth grade and started drinking like in junior high so that was all pretty normal yeah I mean it's what you knew right so was there a point where you started to get into more and more substance use and you thought maybe this isn't normal or maybe this level of use isn't normal? I mean, when how does one go about realizing like maybe this is all that I know isn't like the best option for my life or something, you know? Do you get what I'm asking? Yes. So I thought it was like a good kid and um you know, that was just normal high school behaviors, and I was actually on the swing choir team and the cheerleading squad, and I was, you know, one of those good girls, and it wasn't until after I graduated and moved away and then came back is when I started getting into heavier drugs, which I knew weren't okay, but I still did it. What kind of started that? Was it like your friend group when you came back? Or, or what kind of contributed to the change, I guess, from leaving and coming back? Oh, I was in a relationship, and it was... I ended up cutting off that relationship and moving back home. So did they kind of introduce you into that sort of world, or...? Oh, no, my sister did, actually. I probably did a lot of drugs with my sister when I was younger. And she was younger than me, so mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. Or what, what age do you think you were around that time? Well, I think in high school I did, like, Oxycontin and stuff. But I still don't even, cons- I don't know, consider that really bad, which it was. It was very bad, and I was smoking it but and it getting was normal. sick. But it was all of the all the high schoolers and everybody around there did that and then I moved away and I got away from all that and that was fine and I when I came back my sister had introduced me I actually had caught her in the car um it was on a ride back from Anchorage and she was smoking meth and then I was like hey what's that you know like I want to try some and it was all downhill from there (laughs) how old were you then I was uh I don't know 19 and is there is this like kind of a point where you're thinking maybe how I drink or use drugs isn't how other people do or isn't quite normal? Like is there a, 
is there something in your mind that's saying, oh, I might be addicted or I might have like an addiction? No, I had no, no. awareness okay. of addiction and yeah. I had no idea. And that didn't even cross my mind for years, years of substance use. Getting into the substance use was more of just a curiosity thing? Is, yeah. Yeah? You just yeah, boredom, curiosity, <laughs> mm-hmm. which yeah. is really sad. Mm-hmm. No, that's sure. it's interesting because all the other recovery stories we've had, we've heard this thing called, um, no, that's not where I was going, but everyone else that we, a lot of these people we've talked to, you and one other person are the only ones that have had just like a fairly normal entrance to it without having to have gone through uh, something. I don't think so. I mean, she was trimming buds at fourth grade. I don't <laughs> think that's a normal entrance into this. Well, not into that, but like into the heavier drugs, it's always like, I felt this way. I felt like not okay with myself or like there was some emotion tied into trying these drugs. It wasn't just a curiosity thing a lot of the time. There was some, they were masking something or they I were... I probably have a lot of emotion there too. Yeah. I just... Yeah. Like, my mother was paralyzed when I was five years old, so I had to grow up very quickly and I had mm-hmm. to be the responsible kid, you know, and I always put on this act like everything was okay. And so when I used substances, it helped me escape from that and accomplish everything mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. yeah, see, that's more what I was talking about. Okay. That, that's, that was, that's been super common. That's something we've heard a lot. Mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, common curiosity. That was kind of the difference I was making. Now it makes a lot more sense now, though. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I was thinking there was something there, but we just hadn't quite. So you you started using, uh, and it kind of allowed a good escape. It allowed mm-hmm. that ability to be strong, and it made it made a little bit manageable. Yeah, it kept my looking good, looking good. And it was... Yeah. So was it more like kind of a tool you knew that you had these responsibilities that you really valued and you kind of felt like maybe you weren't capable of handling that and you know growing up at the same time and so was that kind of an an area where you look for help in managing life or was it more of like I this is really painful and I want to get away it was probably more pain driven but I didn't let anybody know that yeah (laughs) yeah so it was kind of, yeah, seemed a little little mixture of both, yeah. A little bit of a tool to do the things you needed to do as well yeah, as for not. Yeah, for a long time, I, yeah. it did help me to, like, accomplish a lot and until... Until it didn't. Until it didn't. <laughs> yeah. And when you started to get to the point to where it didn't, where it was holding you back or destroying some things that you valued, I imagine it had to have destroyed some kind of work or some kind of relationships or some kind of like self-esteem you know whatever those may be then are you reaching a point where you're like maybe this is a problem what's that progression like from oh i'm not you know i'm doing this to kind of numb to where it's like oh man like this might not this might need to stop like when does that happen Honestly, I don't know. Sure. I I was in the liquor industry since I was 18. You could serve alcohol in the States. So before I even moved back home and started using um, methamphetamines was my drug of choice. Then um, I was already in the liquor industry. So when I came here, I continued on, um, you know, serving and eventually bartending, eventually Miller Girl, 
you know, doing modeling for car shows, but I was a really a pretty well-known bartender and ran a bar. And in order for me to keep um, drinking, I would get high so that I could still function somewhat. Mm -hmm. And But it, I didn't think, I, I lost a lot of jobs. I lost a lot of relationships, but I don't, think I ever was like, hey, it's probably the drugs. Or me. Yeah, it's somebody else's fault. Is that yeah. kind of where you were going? Yes, it yeah. was always something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounded some kind of similar to something what, what Brett said a little bit. It sounded yeah. like like if these people weren't like enabling the life for, that he wanted or that he thought he uh, needed, it, it was like, well, screw you, like... You're, you guys are the problem. You guys are, you know, what's holding everything back, like, moving on. And so were you, it sounds like you were probably kind of like, well, okay, like, I guess, like, I don't know what your problem is, but moving on. Yeah. And you were able to, you were transitioning very quickly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. When does it become maybe a you thing? Do you, or how, I guess, how did, when does it become a... Like, how did you get into any form of recovery? Well, I had gotten, I'm not even sure what year it was. I got my first set of drug charges, okay. um, which was just weed. It was only weed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it was on federal property, and I didn't realize that. I was uh, oh, at really? an airport. Oh, dang. And, yeah. Um, yeah, they don't like yeah that's really bad, yeah. apparently. And I was just trying to help a friend out, and I was naive enough to not know what I was getting into. So I was transporting a pound and an ounce of weed, which is a lot, mm -hmm. and um, very not good. So I ended up going to jail for a minute, not very long, and then getting out and then getting on probation. But I complied and I completed with all my probation while using. And so I didn't learn anything. I got right. away with it. Yeah. Right. And, um, and were you taking UAs and stuff at this yeah. point too? But yes. we've heard, in, you said methamphetamine is your drug of choice mm -hmm. at this point. So it's probably pretty easy to yeah, kind of dodge around it. Just took days to get out of yeah. your system. and My system anyways. I didn't have a lot of meat on me. And um, so it wasn't until after I got my second set of drug charges that I actually, um, I was going to beat the court, right? Because they were going to tell me to go to treatment. So I was just going to be one step ahead of them and do what they were going to tell me to do. But So you entered treatment on your own? But only because I knew that. Right, I mean, right, right, right. <laughs> but yes. You're yeah. like, okay, this is what they'd like to see. Got yes, you. but okay. actually, it, I do. I did have um, self-help books. I did have self-help books from years ago that I actually had started and thought about and tried because I knew that I was living a life that I wasn't meant to live. I mean, I knew that it wasn't okay when it, it just became more and more and more. Like, I would drink every day. I would do... Um, you know, different opiate pills every day, and then I ended up doing heroin too, and benzos, and THC, and meth, all of it combined every single day. I mean, that's even a miracle to be alive. Yeah. So what, what was there really like an eye-opening experience where you're like, whoa, this, this is not going to work out? Was that, you know, being, I guess, arrested at the airport where you started kind of thinking about it, or was there like a really big experience where you're like, 
this isn't this isn't who I want to be. Um, I I probably had those thoughts off and on throughout the years, but it was just so short and such a little glimpse of it that I would just continue to to use and to numb out and just kept doing what I knew. And it wasn't until I was in treatment when I actually was had this breakthrough that was like, wow, I. Well, you probably needed that treatment to I kind needed, of know that there was something else, right? It right. sounds like you're kind of just doing whatever, what you know, what is super familiar. I had no idea that, that yeah. there was like a treatment center that yeah. you could go to to talk about your problems where they wouldn't judge you and you could be honest with them and tell them about your experiences and things you'd been through. I had no idea. Idea. Like nobody came knocking on my bathroom door to tell me, yeah. hey, there's another way to live. Right. And so it was that kind of that second drug charge that got you into treatment mm-hmm. that kind of brought you a new perspective. Yes, it was complete blessing in disguise. And that's hard, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's like, okay, great, this, you were able to, you know, get this new perspective. But then if you look at it from another perspective, it's kind of like you actually had to catch legal trouble to see that, like, abusing cocktails of drugs and hard drugs wasn't completely normal, you know? Yeah. And I imagine that you are not the only one. I imagine there are tons and tons of groups of people out there who don't really know any different. Yeah, it was super scary because, you know, I have that black mark on my record. I am a two-time drug felon. I mean, if you'd look at me and i tell you I'm a cold-hearted criminal, you'd probably <laughs> laugh. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. I mean... So am I. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's been a real obstacle it has mm-hmm. to overcome and work through. I didn't think I'd be able to get a good job. You know, I didn't... I didn't know what the future would would hold for me because of the barriers. Hmm. So what kind of gave you hope during that time? Was your inpatient treatment at Serenity? Yes. Okay. And then back to what Coburn said. Um, my son. I had a little boy. He was 18 months old when I went to jail on my second set of drug charges. And I actually went into treatment and stuff for him. It, for you know because of the law and because of my son it wasn't because of me and I didn't learn that until later that I needed to be there for me in order to be there for anybody else Mm -hmm. but he was my he was my driving factor I wasn't going to let my story in like that so did you kind of have this I'm not sure if it's like apathy but it doesn't sound like you really put yourself at a high value no 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 was there was there a reason for that or I mean, if if there if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. No, it's fine. It's just be, everyone that I loved and that was closest to me hurt me the worst. Mm-hmm. So um, I just put yeah. up these walls and put on these masks, and then I didn't want to let people in. And it seems yeah. like as a young child or as an adolescent or as a young adult, you have no reason but when that happens to think like, the people who claim to value me the most or who I would believe would value me the most have in actual actions shown me little to no value. Right. You and know? I mean, I still That's struggle confusing. with this. Yeah. 
I mean, like you yeah. said, you were forced to grow up so fast. You know what I mean? When you're the one at a, such a young age with all that responsibility, you know, you're the one supposed to be taking care of people. And it's one of those things where eventually you come to a point where like, well, who's taking care of me? Mm-hmm. And you never, if you never get that, and if you never see that, how are you to trust anybody anyway? You've never had anybody to trust. You don't even know what that looks like at this point. And so you had learned to trust drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I know it seems like consistent. maybe a little bit um, cliche, but it isn't a pretty popular thing in like uh, uh, rehabilitation programs that you like write a goodbye letter to your drug. Mm-hmm. and. I read one the other day on Facebook, a a woman had basically, she wasn't in treatment, but she had written her own, um, basically saying, like, you were my best friend, you were always there for me, you always made me feel better, and I've been listening to what you're saying, is like, if you look at that from one perspective, it's kind of like, you treated me pretty well, until you didn't, and that's kind of what she said, it's kind of like, you valued me, you treated me well, until you didn't any longer, I didn't know how much it was going to cost, you know, and I didn't know that you would really actually end up letting me down so much. However, like, it seems like you weren't finding value, you weren't being valued or treated with love and respect from a lot of people, but you knew that, like, there was something you could turn to, drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of had to learn... It seems like maybe in treatment, maybe you learned, like, maybe less that, like, doing drugs. Maybe, maybe, because I was thinking, like, oh, you learned that maybe doing drugs all the time wasn't normal. But now that I'm listening, I think maybe you were, like, it wasn't, it was much less anything to do with drugs and much more, like, there are people who will value me for me. That sounds like the bigger thing that you learned. Yes, and I have been able to completely change the cycle um, from the way that I was raised to the way that I'm able to raise my children That's and huge. it's huge because mm-hmm. I I didn't know I just I had no idea what else was out there or was available or what a healthy family looked like I had no clue and I get to provide that you know for myself and for my family today it's it's amazing how long have you been clean today today well my clean date is um 11 28 2011 oh, wow. so in november Ooh, i'll have seven years, years my wow. lucky number wow. that's, awesome. that's, that's exciting it is really crazy awesome. so i'm like telling my sponsor right like i just don't understand i don't understand how these people you know i'm just struggling with watching them and you know seeing their situations and and she says I go it's so weird isn't it just so weird how come they can't get it and she's like Jody how many people do you know that don't have relapse as a part of their story and I'm like sitting there silent <laughs> like she goes you're the weird one <laughs> yeah. yeah so you went to treatment and got clean and never relapsed correct wow wow that's impressive. That's yeah. Like, that's fairly uncommon. Yeah, that too. that does as if, as far as what we've heard and everything and some of what we've read as well is like you are the weird one. <laughs> yeah. you I know are the it brings outlier. like tears yeah. to my eyes though. I just um, I've been shown so much mercy and grace and I don't understand why me. Yeah. But I've worked very hard. You know the the 
the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. <laughs> I have the actions that go behind it. I'm, I mean, it didn't happen itself. Yeah. What do you think the difference is between your approach and other people's? Or do you think it was just a completely personal thing? Like, what do you think it was that kept you, for lack of a better term, on the straight and narrow um, and just never will look back? Uh, honestly, as a little girl, I was I did go to church with other friends, and I did have this connection and this longing, um, and I I I built that when I was little, and I let it go. You know, I put I put my God under under the curtain and pushed pushed it away because I was doing bad things, um, and and I didn't. I didn't incorporate that in my life very much. I did some point, I actually did go to church high and um, probably used drugs in the bathroom there. But um, I create, I was able to have a newfound faith in uh, my higher power when I got clean and I totally solely relied on him. And I don't, I'm really enmeshed with my church, and I sing on the praise and worship team, and I don't think I could be where I am today without having that support. So did they know where you'd come from, and did they offer like kind of a non-judgmental support and just really accepted you, or, or how did that influence you? Was it the people, or or was it just coming back to your faith and realizing that this was kind of the person you wanted to be? Both. Both? Oh. Okay. Wow. Is the, uh, an acknowledgement of a higher power, what step is that? Is that the first one? The second? Because I, I thought the first one was that your life had become, become unmanageable. Unmanageable, yeah. And then, but there is the an acknowledgement of a higher power. come to believe that a power uh, greater than okay. yourself could restore your So it sanity. sounded like... You, with your drug charges and looking at your child, were pretty quickly in touch with step one. And then step two, you already had some really deep roots planted that you just kind of had to tap back into. Right. So it sounds like those first two steps, you were like fully blooming within just, uh, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. It was pretty funny because when I was in jail, I had the NA book and I sat there with some other girls and we like read it and I'm like, yep, got that. Oh, step one. Yep, got that. Yeah, step, yeah. Oh, step one. Yeah. And they're like, that's not how you work this stuff. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. You're like, well, you don't just have like a multiple choice test I can take. Yeah. Check. <laughs> yeah. Check this box. Get out of here. So when you encountered, I mean, I'm sure you still encountered temptation. How did you deal with that? Yeah. What was that like? I actually did the other day. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's, that's something about how do you deal with that? Like, yeah. Even did you deal with that? How do you deal yeah. with that? Yeah, yeah somebody that's away, had seven, uh, coming up on seven years, no relapses, still, you know, obviously were, you were and continue to run into these temptations. What are some of the things that you have done and continue to do? There's, There's been all different kinds of situations, but recently... Uh, I was a part of a wedding, which is very mm. amazing people in my life that I love that right. are normies. That's yep. what we call them. Yeah. And there was a lot of alcohol there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this part of me that's like, man, I wish I could drink. Like, I would, wouldn't mind a drink right now. And um, <laughs> the thought that kept running through my mind was, well, you'd have to quit your job and move. <laughs> because, <Right. Yeah. laughs> because I 
am employed with the Serenity House. I work for the hospital, and I have been working here for two years, and I never thought I would have a professional job or a career to work towards, and I am working towards my chemical dependency counselor one right now. Right. I am a certified wow. technician. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still tempting. Like, it's yeah. still there. It's still hard. But I have this weird thing. I just, because, you know, being a part of the NA program and working, you know, multiple sets of steps, I just, I have this weirdness about me that I, I know those nightmares that you have, I guess, about relapsing and having to admit it and talk to people. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that's kind of like what Zach said. Like, um, it would... I think for him, if I remember correctly, he said <clears throat> the biggest, one of the hardest things about, oh no, one of the biggest deterrents about relapsing was that he'd have to quit again. <laughs> was was that him? He's like, we 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 were already done. We're just gonna stay done because mm-hmm. getting done again would be a lot more difficult. Yeah, is that and something I, you think about? I think about you know if. I could probably drink, but I've been around for a minute, right? So I hear these stories. I'm trying to, like, soak up as much as I can from other people and learn from their experiences. Right. You know, that's why I have a sponsor. That's why I have mentors in my life. That's why I continue to learn and grow is because I see what didn't work. Okay, mm. well, that didn't work. Or I see what how somebody's life is. I'm like, hey, well, I don't want that, you know? Mm-hmm. So by other people's experiences where they could drink, a little bit for a while, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they, it lasts for like a year. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that's what, that's exactly what Brett had said too. He said like, you know, when he had thought about like, maybe he could drink or that other people come to him and say like, Oh, I can drink. He goes, Oh, I think he, this is, I think it was Brett who said this. He goes, Oh, you can, mm-hmm. you can, you, you'll probably, you can drink and you'll probably be fine right, for, for a, a week, while. for two mm-hmm. weeks, for a month, but probably not for very long. Like, yeah. you can for a while. I think that's kind of how he phrased it. And yeah. I think alcohol is the hardest thing because I was a complete alcoholic and raised my fa- you know, raised my yeah. family that drinking all day every day was normal. Mm-hmm. It was okay. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as the other drugs, I, I don't get to be around them very much. I, I get to see people who are under the influence, and it's not very attractive. Sure. But as far as actually having – we've ha- – I've had the opportunity to, like, clean out people's belongings and stuff like that, which is scary, but it's not a temptation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. Uh, so one of the things that we've heard before um, in Cherie's story and then in some other stories is this idea of playing that tape forward. So people mm-hmm. have relapsed several times and they say, eh, I think about, like, maybe just one drink, maybe just one bump, whatever. But then they say, but at this point, like, I can really play that tape forward. I can see that that is only going to lead to, like, a lot of pain, a lot of destruction. However, the on- it w- you only can play that. You're saying that you have, like, soaked up these stories. And so you can kind of play that tape forward, but it's like a second hand. It's like second hand playing that tape forward. So, like, other people are like, I've done these things before, and this is what's happened. So you go and you're like, eh press play, you're like, uh, I can see what's going to happen, no thanks, if I was to relapse. You're kind of, you don't get to play your own tape forward. Because <laughs> I don't gotta, know. No, you don't know. Yeah. you got to borrow everybody else's tape, but and that sounds like worth, what you're doing. Like, you're it's borrowing, not yeah. worth trying at this point in my life. I have right. come so far. Yeah. I've come in so far to just mm-hmm. be like, is it even worth it? Yeah. I, I mean, especially coming from your background where alcoholism is so prominent, 
and drinking being so socially acceptable, I imagine that would be the hardest temptation. You know what I mean? Because you're not, I mean, not necessarily around, you know, harder drugs every day. You're not, you can, you can go to places, you can go to a lot more places where you're out of the way of even pot or harder drugs than you can in, al- than you can in alcohol. You know what I mean? Like, you go out to dinner, they have a beer menu, you know, <laughs> and like, that seems hard. And there's just, I think about my kids, mm-hmm. right? And I never want them to see me like that. Like, I don't think my son would, you know, remember when he was a year and yeah. a half old. Mm-hmm. You know, so only your 18-month-old son ever saw So anything. he's not going to remember yeah. anything. So um, I just, I remember growing up sure. with my mom being an alcoholic. And, you know, my dad was called No-Show Joe. And... Wow. I would just, how unsafe mm-hmm. it very, very much was. So unpredictable and unsafe. And I just don't want my kids to see me like that. And it sounds like another thing you said, if I was to drink, you not only have all these other like tapes of other peoples that you can play forward when they did this, this is what happened. But you can also, it sounds like you have a massive amount of immediate accountability Right. Or any immediate consequences. So it's not like, oh, I could drink and, like, I'll probably be hungover or have to call into work. Or, you know, I'll probably call into work tomorrow or something. You know, some kind. Of, I'll just, I'm not going to try to make it up. But you some small consequence. Yours is like, oh, I can drink, but then I'm going to have to quit my job and I'm going to have to move. Yeah. Like, those are two major things, man. It's like, eh. Nah, <laughs> miss like, me. Yeah. Super accountability. Swerve. If yeah. I ever Super just jump up and decide I'm going to move, there's probably some yeah. red flags unless I have some huge supports in place. Sure. So did you surround yourself with people who would really keep you accountable? Was that kind of your idea? You're like, wait, I need to really separate from this and I need to start getting involved with people who are, who are going to care and they're going to know and there's going to be consequences. Yes, I... I think it's one of the hardest things for people is because they don't want to let go mm-hmm. of other... Oh, yeah, they yeah. don't want to let go Absolutely. of friends, so-called Absolutely. friends and family. And I I just had to cut people out. I had... I created a new... Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is hard and uncomfortable oh, and awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's rare. Especially with your family. Yeah. And I have my church family now. And honestly, I have a family here at work. Like I have the best people that I work with that build me up and are compassionate about my life. And I have some amazing mentors here. And as you are continuing coming up on like your seventh year, maybe you can uh, not necessarily super detailed or anything, no daunting task, but can you just kind of walk through like, for other people who are maybe new to recovery as well as people who have been in it for a while, like what was kind of, what were kind of those first few years like compared to these last few years? Was there a difference? Like how did your recovery kind of evolve? As far as I'm aware, and this could be like me just not being super in touch with some of the people we've talked to, and for any listeners out there, if I'm wrong here, I'm sorry, but I think seven years is probably our our longest recovery time that we've that it's we've the had. We've so that I mean that we have I think you have the close to the longest or the longest recovery time. Until you do my sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) So what was your, what, how has, because we see like some people, this is all to say, some people are like, you know, when I started, 
it was 90 meetings, 90 days, or like 100 meetings in like 30 days, it sounds like, you know, meeting, 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 plugging in, plugging in, plugging in, group, group, group. And then they're like, now, like I'm a year, you know, I go to a meeting once a week, but I also have these jobs and I have these other things that are going on. It's kind of evolving. How has your recovery kind of evolved? And on another note, it sounds like with your work and with your job that you're always kind of plugged into a recovery mindset. So maybe you're kind of a little bit different than some of the people we've talked to. I know some people work similar positions, I know. Um, but how has it evolved in some way over the last, you know, coming up on seven years? Well, in the beginning, I had I had some legal help. I was actually court ordered to not have a cell phone because I was a drug dealer. Um, and I, mean, I, I didn't even know they could court that. I know. Yeah. I didn't know that either. No phone. Yeah, they took that away. Yeah, wow. If we see you at the Walmart in that prepaid car, <laughs> yeah. you are going right back. <laughs> wow. And then no I actually went through my uh, personal care provider, and I set up, I didn't have to, I set up UAs three times a week for, account, for accountability, yeah. and, and they would call my aunt. Because I looked up to her, and she helped me. She, yeah. she was the, she was the one that helped helped me take me in. Before I went, right before I went to treatment, and so I did UAs three times a week, and then I went to treatment, and then I ended up. I had to be on ankle monitor too for five months, so I have this little boy. I'm on ankle monitor. I got to stay with a friend. And I would walk, because you can't drive a vehicle on income monitor. I had to walk or ride a bike or push a stroller to treatment or get a ride to meetings. And, and I was able to finish my income monitor out. And then I moved into the first Serenity House uh, transitional living home. I was, a, I was the pilot project for the first female to live into their transitional living home. And oh, wow. that's evolved so much since then it's amazing but um i did go to a lot of meetings i did get a sponsor i did go to all of my groups that actually continued on with treatment and with therapy for four years i didn't just do the one year and then be done i continued on and was able to work on all this root stuff like i'm sorry but i puked everything out there and i was just going to deal with it all and be done with it i wasn't going to keep this over here and hide this over here because we weren't going to talk about that like i didn't and i honestly believe that's what has kept me clean is because i don't have anything hidden i don't have yeah. any secrets i yeah. i was able to process and continually because stuff still comes up process you know these situations and um and move on yeah i forget exactly who said it was it zach or was it danielle they said they said you know one of the things you'll read maybe i think in the big book um but don't exactly quote me on this but they said something like it says that one of the major the only one of the major and on, one of the only reasons you will fail this program is if you have an inability to be honest. I think that was either Danielle or Cassandra. Okay. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, one of them said that, like, if you have an inability to be honest, you will not make it in this program. And it sounds like you had, you whether it would be difficult, I imagine it was, Mm. you took that on and you were just, like, putting it out there, honest, open, transparent in some of these ways where it mattered. Yeah, I... 
actually see a lot of people in a lot of situations where they just, I don't, I personally think that they don't deal with all their stuff. Mm-hmm. And it keeps, it keeps them. Keeps them chained. Yep. Enslaved. Yes. Before we wrap up here, um, that one last thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up here is, because we don't, I mean, we talk about going to meetings, you know, and doing these things. We keep saying these things, you know, going to meetings and other things. Uh, the therapy part of it with the counselor, the therapeutic part where you're really sitting down and not necessarily working on recovery issues, like directly involved with substance abuse, but those childhood things or just those root problems that kind of sparked the emotion that, you know, that kind of got the whole ball rolling. You said you continued that for four years. Do you still continue now, like in a counseling session or in a therapeutic environment of any sort? No, I attend a lot of trainings. I continue to feed um, myself because I love to to learn. I, I like to learn and grow. So if I'm, I don't want to come to that point where I'm stagnant or I think I've made it or mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I just am very teachable and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I love that I get to continue to learn with, with my employment, and I do trainings at church um, in that setting too and I don't go to as many meetings as I wish that I did but it's the season I think in my life there was a time where I held a area level position for two years and did public relations with NA and that was an awesome experience and then I was a secretary for the area for two years and at this time now I actually hold a position at the jail where I approve people to go volunteer in there and I go in there and volunteer and bring meetings in there as well. So it just depends on where I can serve, whether it be at my kid's school or um, through work or church or where I can get it in right now until my kids are a little older. Yeah, sounds like, because I think um, part of what like NA will drive is like this idea of service, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems like not necessarily that you're replacing meetings completely, but, you know, part of that just looks a little bit different at times. You know, you're not necessarily going to meetings, but you're pushing something that this NA meeting program would push, right? I mean, pushing the service, and you're engaging in service, right? It sounds like. Right. It's just, it's hard, though, just, too, to wear those two hats, to sure. be um, to be just an addict, and recovery and not have all the answers mm-hmm. or um, compare my journey or think I should be farther. Sure. Because um, sometimes I just want to be an addict and not labeled as the place where I work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, it's got to be tiring at times, right, to think like, oh, she has it all together. She has all the answers. She's an authority on this matter. And at times yeah. you're like, dude, I'm kind of confused right now. <laughs> I'm kind of lost See at my times, tag? right? My tag says, I don't know. I just <sighs> work here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that would get, I think, tiring. But I think uh, that reminds me of something that, because uh, I study, I'm in the uh, psychology program for uh, UAA, well, UAA psychology program. And one of the persons I, I think I talked to a psych prof and they had said, oh, I was going to therapy at this time. And he goes, yes, I know. Therapists see other therapists 
because like we need that and it sounds like because they can't have all the answers all the time to everything like and i get that this was about like him or herself but like they kind of need that same outlet you know yeah it's fine it's finding the balance and i have i have a lot of that support here with Mm -hmm. any of the people i work with at any time so if you uh before we wrap up i guess what is uh what is one of the main like a couple tips you might give to people who are looking to enter recovery or who are kind of struggling in recovery um right now i think it's just kind of hearing that you are worth it you know that we all have struggles we all have stuff but what are you going to do with it are you going to let it hinder you and hold you down or you're going to rise above you know use it for good empower other people build yourself up and um i consider myself a mighty warrior um you know anybody can do it if I can do it, anybody can do it. It doesn't take any kind of special anything to um, turn your will and your life over and say, look, I can't do this. I need help. And that was a huge obstacle for me because I was raised, you know, you break it, you help fix it. You can't start it. You can't write it. You get stuck. You're, you know, screwed. <laughs> so... <laughs> So asking for help was huge, huge barrier for me um, right off the get-go because I had to act like I had it all together. And so, you know, you didn't tell people your problems. You didn't talk about those kind of things. And that's where the freedom is. That's where the relief is, is, is letting it go, dealing with it, talking about it, processing it you know, digging up those roots and planting new ones. Because I had no idea that there was, you know, I get to teach my son today about meditation. There's no way I would have learned that growing up. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we've got to take him on, we've been on three family vacations. Um, You know, ask for help, ask questions, put yourself around people that you want to be like, you know and set goals for your life and it, it they're achievable just do small continue to grow i just know that um it wasn't the life that i wanted to live and, and if you're hearing this and you are thinking the same thing it's because you weren't meant to live that way you were made for more you were meant for more that's a that's a good note um if you if you are struggling or if you are looking for more resources or even actually if you know somebody that could use use a hand and you know that they're worth more and they can't quite see it at this point, um, you know, Serenity House here in Soldatna, uh, the intake office is right off of Binkley Street. Thank you so much for sharing your story and all of your uh recovery progress and congrats on in almost seven years that's awesome thank you so much this is eric and aaron and kobe and this was jody's story